You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. Morning. For those I haven't met, I'm Michael Nelson. I'm one of the members on the elder board. And today we'll be reading from Malachi chapter 2, starting verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we worried him by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So the first two chapters of Malachi are pretty heavy. I, I get it. I, I know. Uh, after last week, uh, just looking at that last part of chapter two, it was, yeah, it was heavy. Uh, one of the things that we, uh, we encounter in Malachi is, I mean, if we're honest, is somewhat of a reflection of our own hearts. I, I know I do. Uh, this is this is difficult. I mean, this has been a difficult book to preach through, not because of what I think you might think, but because of my own heart. I know where my own heart is, and so I just just share that with you. But chapter three is really encouraging. The timing of chapter three couldn't be more perfect. There are a series of complaints that God makes to Israel throughout the book of Malachi, and so just just kind of refresh your, your memory as a kind of, uh, so you can see the structure of Malachi for a minute. And, uh, there are a series of seven, basically, statements or, or, or criticisms of God and a series of questions that Israel asks in response to God and then God's answer to their question. The first is, I have loved you. This is what God says to Israel, I have loved you. And their response was, well, how have you loved us? God's answer is, I've chosen Jacob over Esau. I've been faithful to you, even though you've been faithless to me. And I have a plan for Israel, for you, Israel, and that plan is that through you all the nations will be blessed. I have loved you. And then uh, later on in chapter 1, God says, I, you despise my name. And their answer, Israel's answer was, well, how have we despised your name? And the answer to their question is, you have your worship of me as lackadaisical at best. And then the next, uh, 
later on in chapter 1, you have offered polluted food on my altar because honoring me with your whole life has become wearisome to you. And their response was, well, how have we, how have we polluted you? How, how have we offered polluted stuff on your altar? And his answer is, you offer what is cheap and sick because you do not regard my name as holy. And then like last week, Chapter 2, you have covered the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Their question and response is, well, why does he not accept our offering? God's answer is, well, you've been faithless to the wife of your youth. And then the one that that, that faces us today is that you have wearied the Lord with your words. Well, how have we wearied him? He said, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, speaking of God, or by asking, where is the God of justice? And in the weeks to come, we'll encounter the the final two statements, like, like, you are robbing me. Well, how are we robbing you? Like, how have we robbed you, Lord? Well, in your tithes and contributions, you've you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, I, just as foreshadowing for the sermon that's coming next week, um, don't think, you know, what's in your wallet or what's in your purse when it comes to, to these verses. He's dealing with something much, much deeper than, than that. So just so you know, next week's sermon is not about giving. <laughs> um, but, it's, but it's about our, our hearts. And then finally, your words have been hard against me. And Israel's response is, well, how have we spoken against you? And God's answer is, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of your keeping of his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they, but they put God to the test and they escape. But the, but the, the fifth statement, the fifth the, the fifth rebuke and the, the, the question that Israel asks in response is the one that faces us today. And like I said, I, I can't think of a, of a more timely passage. Hey, on October 7th, Hamas terrorists, that's what they are, invaded Israel. And I, I don't need to rehash all that happened because I'm sure you're, you're fully aware you know, of the men, women, and children that were murdered and in the manner by which they were murdered. There were women and there were children who were forced in the, you know, in the cars, especially women. Some of them have been killed, and some of them who we don't know. So we have that. Then you have, then you have the fact that Israel's at war, and as I speak right now, Israel gave the Palestinians 24 hours to get out of the area that Israel is going to bomb. There's like over a million Palestinians that have to leave. How, how, can, you, how can you flee in 24 hours? So that's a legitimate question that other nations are asking. So the very real possibility of, of more civilians being killed is, is, is before us. Then you have China and Russia posturing themselves as nations who seem to be moving closer to a former, a, a former, or a formal alliance. It's um, not beyond reason to, to, to assume that, that Iran and North Korea may join them. One um, well-known investor who's 
been known for just being able to, uh, to have his finger kind of on the pulse of what's happening with the nations, believes that there is a 50% chance of a, another world war. And based on what I read in my Bible, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised by any of it. Do, do I want to live in this day and age where all this is happening? No. <laughs> no. Like one of my sons, we were reflecting on just the frailty of life, and he said, Dad, I, I, I don't want to die. And I said, well, neither do I. <laughs> like, there's old spiritual, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I want Jesus to come first, and then uh, where I don't have to deal with death, and then, and then resurrect this, this body as it is before I experience death, right? But the likelihood of that happening is I'm probably going to die one day. So are you, right? The mortality rate in Cheyenne is what? 100%. It's, it's the same for the rest of the world. Uh, not one of us is getting out of here alive unless Jesus comes before them. So that's all before us. And so maybe it's not what's happening in the world. Maybe it's, maybe it's what's happening in your home right now that, that fills you with anxiety. Maybe it's, maybe it's with whatever illness or whatever news from a doctor that you received that fills you with anxiety. This passage in Malachi chapter 3 is for you. It's for you. It's for me. Uh, it, it is God's answer to all the craziness in our world. And so if you are feeling hopeless, if you are feeling tired, if you're feeling discouraged, Malachi chapter 3 is, is for you. We live in a world that's fallen, right? I, I don't have to work hard at proving that to you. We live in a world that's just a mess. It's broken. It's, it's the wilderness. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, and God dealt with their sin, he gave them permanent you know, covering for their, for their nakedness, and he promised them there would be a deliverer who would come through their gene pool, a human who would crush the head of the serpent. And then he expelled Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden into the wilderness. What's in the wilderness? Well, what's in the wilderness is, is every time that you, you, you bring forth life from the dirt, you're going to be reminded of death. Every time you give forth life or, or, or bear life through the womb, you will be reminded of death. That all around us is the reminder of death. And not just what we experience on a personal level, just what we see. War, sickness, disease, all those things. And so that's the wilderness. And, and Malachi chapter 3 speaks into the, the hope that we can have in the midst of this wilderness that we find ourselves in. Like the wilderness is, is sin. Like the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, it says, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because what? All sinned, all of us. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. But there's one who's coming, a second Adam, who will make all that's wrong with this world right. You know, and being cast out of the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve were driven away from the face of God. But at the end of the book of Revelation, we're told that all the redeemed will see the face of God again. That day's coming. You know, when that happens, you know what the Bible promises? That's the day when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You know that? 
Like, uh, sometimes there's really bad theology in some well-meaning Christian artists. Like, um, DeGarmo and Key, I'm dating myself. Uh, they wrote a song in response to Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven. And DeGarmo and Key, uh, in their song, say, well, no, Eric, uh, there, there's not going to be any tears in heaven. Uh, no, actually, Eric Clapton was more theologically correct than DeGarmo and Key. Just read Revelation chapter 7 sometime. The martyred saints are pleading, how long, O oh Lord, how long will it be before you, before you make this right? There's day, a day coming where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, but only when redemption is complete. Malachi chapter 3 is speaking into our wilderness. But before we get to chapter 3, we've got to deal with verse 17 of chapter 2. And so uh, I hope you have a Bible. Uh, I want you to see this in in the Bible, so just don't assume but based on what I'm saying. If you have a digital device, bring it up on your digital device. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath the chairs somewhere around you. Grab one of those, take it home with you. But I want you to see this. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, he, he, this, is, this is what we read. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Now, um, I, I, I was curious how the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, like paraphrase this, and the way the message, you know, paraphrases is that you have tired, you've made the Lord tired. Like, that's really a bad translation. Like, God doesn't get tired. Here's, here's what I want you to hear. This is free. This is not in my notes. Um, like, like, you can't frustrate God. Like, if God is sovereign, you can't, you can't frustrate him. Because what happens when you get frustrated? You're frustrated because your plans aren't going, out, going the way that you want them to go. But what is true where this, this word wearied means troubled, means irritated. Oh, you've irritated the Lord with your words. Well, what words? Oh, the, the, the very last part of, of that verse 17. By saying or by asking, where's the God of justice? You know what Israel's doing here? They're questioning the character of God. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever had a conversation with somebody who was just, they were just, they couldn't be any more hypocritical. Uh, or have you ever had a conversation with somebody very self-centered to the point of like, it's just in their face, it's all over them? You ever watch American Idol? American Idol? Come on. One person. You guys like. Come on, you've seen it before. Maybe you're not watching it anymore, but have you seen American Idol? Okay, good. Or, or America's Got Talent. Have you seen America's Got Talent? Okay, what's so fun about those shows is that we get a laugh out of, uh, at, the, at the pain or shame of some who really think that they've got great talent in either being able to sing or do something, right? Remember that, right? So somebody's like, yeah, I, I have a beautiful voice. Everybody tells me I, I should be a rock star or whatever. And then they get up and they sing. And what does it sound like? It sounds like a parakeet, right? It's like, it's just like horrible. Or a cat. Um, and so... So this is Israel. This is Israel. <laughs> this is what they're doing. Where is the God of justice? Wait a second, Israel. Where is your justice? Like just, just in verse 10 and following, leading up to verse 17, what, was, what were the men guilty of? They were divorcing the, wife of the wives of their youth and they were, who worshipped the same God that they did because they found the pagan women uh, who worshipped other gods, who did horrible things, more attractive. 
And by divorcing the wife of their youth and going after these women, what they were doing is they were leaving, they were leaving the wife of their youth open to violence. So and now, in verse 17, where's the God of justice? Where is the God of justice? You know, and, and maybe you're tempted to ask that question right now as you see what's going on in the world. Where is the God of justice? Where is he? In Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, we get an example of the right way to ask questions. What I love about the Bible is the Bible, God, through his word, has gifted us language of lament. Like we see it with Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. He wasn't questioning the, the, the character of the Father, God the Father, when he, when he cried that. Well, and just like in Habakkuk chapter 1, it says, how long, like, could this be not, like, any more relevant than today? How long, Lord, have I called for help and you do not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why, why do you make me see disaster? Yeah, yes, devastation and violence are before me. Strife uh, exists and contention arises. Like, he is lamenting. You notice what Habakkuk is not doing? He's not calling into question the character of God. Habakkuk knows his own, his own heart. He, he knows that his level of goodness is deficient, that God is infinitely good. Now he's asking, out of that understanding of who God is, how long will it be before you execute justice and, and make this crazy world like, experience peace? Like, how, how long? You know, we, you probably have been asked questions by friends. Maybe you've asked these questions before uh, sometime, at some point in your life. Like, how can you believe in a good God when there is so much suffering in the world? You ever hear that question before? Right? Like, if God is in control, if he's sovereign, then um, why is the world so out of control? You know, and the, and the questions, you know, go on and on. I've asked those questions. Here, here's, here's something I just want you to consider for a moment before we get into chapter 3. We have a, this is what we do. When it comes to judging whether or not God is just, whether or not he's good, we, and I've said this before, we tend to judge, like based on our level of goodness, we tend to judge against, uh, we use our goodness against the backdrop of who God is, and we, judge, we, we tend to judge whether or not he's good based on how good we are. Right? That's what people do. Here's the other thing you need to know. When it comes to, this is why, I, like, when, like, we're entering into a political season, right? And, and there are politicians that are going to say all kinds of great things. They're going to sound wonderful. Uh, they're they're going to restore, like, all of the, the brokenness to our government and all this and that. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not going to do it. Um, here, here, here's what we know. You're... The ability for nations, the ability for a person to ex execute justice will only be as pure as they are good. Now, what about God? If God is God, then he is good because he is holy. Now, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. He's not just good. He is infinitely good. What does that mean? That means, unlike us, he doesn't need to get better at being good. He does not need to improve upon being good. So what does that mean in terms of his justice? If God is infinitely good, then so his justice is infinitely perfect. So, so, so like, but Israel didn't get that. 
it, it, it didn't make sense to them. So they're, they're asking, so where is, where is this God of justice? Where is this God of justice? They're questioning the very character of God. Uh, they're not considering the fact that, as the Bible declares, like all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like we're the problem. Uh, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, we're the problem. Uh, it, it's, it, when, I think there was a study that came out, I think in 2022, that showed that most Americans, that is 80% of Americans that were surveyed, rightly believe that most of the world's sufferings is due to humans, not God. You want to know why there's world hunger? Humans. You want to know why there's violence in the world? Humans. You want to know why there's injustice? Humans. Like, we're the problem. We're the problem. God is good, though. He is good. He is infinitely good. Here, Psalm 89, verse 14, just to kind of set things up for uh, Malachi chapter 3. Righteousness and justice. Think about that. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. What, what is God's throne? Does like, he need a physical chair to sit in because he gets tired? No. It is, it's, it's his sovereignty. It's his sovereign reign. His sovereign reign um, rests on the foundation of perfect righteousness and justice. So righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. That is our God. That is our God. So, so Israel, to have the audacity to question, where is the God of justice, is like a slap in the face you know, before God. Like, who has been the one who is faithful in, in, in spite of their faithfulness? God is faithful in spite of their faithfulness. God pursued them even though they ran from him. God, like, this is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God chases after sinners. Sinners do not chase after God. And so uh, he is the God who redeems that is broken and that which is broken and he makes whole that which is not whole. He, God does that, which, oh, which opens us up and sets us up for chapter 3, verse 1. Now, look at this. This is why I want you to see this in your Bible. If you're one of those people that likes to mark up your Bible, you should underline this verse um, or underline this word, behold. Behold. Uh, what, what does that mean? Literally, the Hebrew word that's used here for behold means this. Ready? Wait for it. Here I am. Here I am. Where's the God of justice? Chapter 3, verse 1. Here I am. I have not gone anywhere. I am in, the, am in your midst, in the, in the midst of you. And I'm going to do one more for you. I'm going to do one better. I send my messenger. Well, who's the messenger, brothers and sisters? It's See, Sunday school answer. No, it's, it's John the Baptist. He's the messenger. Like, oh, yeah, of course, I knew that. Right. I know you know that because Advent's coming up. We're going to be talking more about this. Um, but, but Jesus is in, is in here, though. I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Look at this. It's like so, like it's got the Trinity just oozing out of this verse. Like, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you will seek, or the, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Well, we have the benefit of looking back with New Testament eyes, and we know that this messenger is John the Baptist. But the irony here is, where's the God of justice? Where is he? Chapter 3, verse 1, he, I'm right here. 
and I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and it will be, it will be physical, and it will be tangible, and I'm going to make all that's broken with this world, and all that's a mess, I'm going to make right. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And you'll know that I'm going to do it when you see my messenger come before me. When Moses asked to see the face of God, uh, God said, you can't see my face and live, but here's what I'll do. I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I will pass by you, and you'll see you know, my, my back parts. I don't know what that means, but it just means that you couldn't see the face of God. But here's the important thing about all that, is what Moses heard. It's what Moses heard as the presence of God went by him. The Lord passed, as Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, we, we love that part of, of, of uh, Exodus chapter 34, right? Like, that's great. Like, we're all about love and mercy and his steadfast, uh, you know, faithfulness and all, that, all those things. But he's a God who's also just, so he's, he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but not at the expense of his justice. Not at the expense of who, his holy character, of who he is. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, let that be the, kind of like the backdrop for Malachi chapter 3. Like God is a God of mercy and grace, but he's also a God of justice, and he will not... He, he will not um, look past the, the, the guilt of sinners. And so, where's the God of justice? Chapter 3, verse 1, I'm right here. I am a God of mercy and grace. Israel, you know that. You've experienced it in a very real way. I have prospered you. I have blessed you. And I have told you that, that through you all the nations will be blessed. And I'm doing that in, in, in your midst. But I'm also... I'm also not going to just look by injustice. I'm not going to just look past the sins of people. So I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and it will be tangible, and you will see. You will see. Uh, Isaiah 40, I, I kind of read portions of this before we prayed. Isaiah 40 talked about this messenger. In the, a voice cries, well, what does the voice cry? Well, he cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, right? So, well, what does that look like? Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. You know, what the, you know what's being talked about here? When a king, a victorious king, was about to enter into a nation that was defeated, um, the roads would be cleared out of the way for the king. You know why the way you want to know why the roads would be cleared out and why the roads would actually be improved upon? It was a statement to the people that what you're about to experience in the days, months, years to come is nothing but better. It will be better, and so um, he's going to <laughs> the the thing about this is that he does this with humans. And he's going to do this with the world. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
I, uh, a couple weeks ago, I pointed you to Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6. And, um, and I love this passage. Like this, this is such a great passage, especially for what has happened in this, this week. You know, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Who's a righteous branch? Who's the, yes, Jesus, that is right. He's the right, Sunday school answer, but also right. Um, David, a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely. I love this. This is also true. Uh, anyway, this t- I got to go. I got to move on. All right. And shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell securely. Like, this is like already not yet. Like, Israel's not saved yet, um, spiritually or physically, and, and, and is not dwelling securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. Yahweh, our righteousness. Where's the God of justice? I am right here. I send my messenger, and he's going to prepare the way before me. And when you see me, the Lord, coming into his temple, you will see Yahweh, your righteousness, coming into the temple. Like, I love this. He, the Lord is our righteousness. If Israel and the priests and everybody of Malachi's day had, had the, the sense to ask this question, they would, ask, they would have asked this question. How can Yahweh come as the human descendant of David, the righteous branch of David? How, how is that possible? How is that possible? Well, the messenger spoken of in chapter 3 tells us how it's possible. In John chapter 1, there was a man sent from God, and his name was who? John. <laughs> And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. This is why, he's, why Jesus is Yahweh our righteousness, <laughs> um, the righteous, and also the righteous branch of David. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, the messenger, bore witness about him and cried out, this is he who I'm, who I, whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now how can we see the face of God? We see, him through, we see it through Jesus Who's the, who's the Yahweh our righteousness? Jesus. Who is the Lord who will enter into his temple? Jesus. Who's going to make what's broken with this world? Who's going to make what's broken with me right? Who's going to fix me? Jesus. Jesus will do it. Like, what's the answer to, to Iran and, and Russia and China and North Korea posturing themselves, threatening nuclear attack? What is the answer to our anxiety when we face all that? Jesus is. And that's not just a Sunday school answer. That's a legitimate answer. God is going to balance the scales of justice one day. That doesn't mean, though, 
brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean that we are going to escape pain. That doesn't mean that God is not going to use those nations to judge America or another nation. And it doesn't mean things are going to not get 10,000 trillion times worse. It may. But what it does mean is that the king is coming. We know he's coming because this, the, the word who became flesh, the one who dwelt amongst, uh, amongst us, he, 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 lived the li- he was born of a virgin, lived the life that we could never live. He was, listen, he was, in saying that he lived the life that we could never live, he was perfect Israel. He was, he, he was everything that Israel was not. He was not just fully God, he was fully man. He obeyed all the commandments. He lived a perfect, righteous life on our behalf. And, but, but Malachi continues. I know I'm out of, just about out of time now. But he continues and he says this, But who can endure the day of his coming, or who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will set... Look, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. <clears throat> like the, 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 the priests in Malachi's day were a mess. Their hearts, uh, their, their hearts weren't into worshiping Yahweh. But we're told that the refiner's fire, who is the Lord who will come to his temple, will fix Levi's problem. You know, um, when we read in the Bible in the New Testament about who we are, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know what the Bible calls you? It calls you a kingdom of priests. We're ambassadors of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are priests unto our God. We have a high priest. His name's Jesus. He's not just a high priest. He's more than a high priest. but But he's the answer to our problem. He's the answer to Levi's problem. He's the answer to Malachi's contemporaries, their problem. He's the answer to our problem, which leads me to my final point, and this will be brief, and that God's love is restorative. Like he's doing something here. He's not going to leave the world as it is, and he's not going to leave you as you are. He's doing something. Like Our story is also Israel's story, and the promise of Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, is our promise too. It's for us. God uh, does not abandon, listen, God does not abandon impure people like us because he loves us too much to leave us as we are. There are a series of promises in Malachi. Like, there's a day that's coming where uh, all of Israel will, will, will cry out, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Meaning, the blessing that would come through Israel has reached the nations. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 3, he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Verse 4, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. You know how he's going to do all that? Through Jesus. Through Jesus a day will come when Israel will say, great is the Lord beyond uh, the border of Israel. Through Jesus, the nations will worship Yahweh, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. Through Jesus, he will purify the sons of Levi as he's doing in your life and in my life. Now the question that begs the answer is, how will he do it? 
How will he do it? <laughs> you know the answer. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Like, read Malachi, or not Malachi, Hebrews sometime. You, you, the whole point of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better than, he, he, he is he's the word of God. He is God's perfect revelation of himself, chapter 1. Uh, chapter 3 through, I think, 4, he, he's, he's better. He's, he's better than Levi because he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's better than Moses because he mediates a covenant better than the old. It's a new covenant that deals with the heart. Just doesn't, just doesn't deal with actions. It deals with the heart. Like the promise in the Bible that God will one day remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, Jesus makes that possible. Jesus makes that possible. When Jesus <clears throat> went to the cross after living the life that we all uh, could never live, he lived the perfect life as perfect Israel. Jesus did that, and he went to the cross. Why did he go to the cross? To become a curse for you and for me. He became our curse on that cross as he underwent the wrath of God. It, 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 let me say it a different way. This Lord who entered into his temple in his first advent Entered into, <clears throat> entered into time and space for the purpose for the purpose of standing under the fire of God's wrath in your place and in my place. <clears throat> like if you're a Christian in this room or if you're thinking about becoming a Christian today, you do not have to experience the perfect justice of a holy God if you place your faith and trust in Jesus because Jesus underwent the perfect justice of a holy God in our place. He stood or hung under the fire of God's wrath on that cross, dying in our place for your sins and for my sins. But there's a judgment that is coming. Verse 5. So, so if, you, if you reject the... the, the the Lord who entered into the temple as the Lord, Yahweh, our righteousness, the one who underwent the wrath of God in our place. If you reject him, there's a judgment coming because God, has, because God is a just God. Verse 5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment and I will be swift, uh, a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against the, those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, uh, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Like that judgment's coming. It's coming. Like we read about it all, all throughout the Bible. We're told in Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense. That's judgment with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to, to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by, gates, by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the evildoers, the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. But God's terms of peace is Jesus. He's coming, and when he comes, all the tribes of the earth, we're told, will mourn on account of him. They will wail, actually, we're told. And this stuff that's happening in Israel right now, he's going to balance the scales of justice. Jesus, and the worship team can come up, by the way. Jesus said, 
to his disciples. This is why he was able to say to his disciples. He said, he said this to them. He said, some of you they will kill, but not a hair on your head will perish. Like, yeah, we, we need to be praying for Israel. Absolutely. We also need to be praying for the Palestinians who are fleeing for their lives right now. They're caught in the middle. I think it's good to pray, pray for the destruction of every evil um, tyrant that's in our world today, including the destruction of Hamas. Um, we need to be praying for those things. But as you watch the nations come together, and, and, and it's not unbelievable to, to assume that Israel and China, or not Israel, uh, um, Iran, China, Russia, North Korea, they might come together. And um, that might not end well for us. But what we know is God is sovereign. This is not, this is not like, this is not how our story ends. Our story ends on a new earth, a resurrected earth, in a new Jerusalem, with a King of Kings and Lord of Lords who will rule the nations, where in that day we'll experience a peace um, that will be unparalleled to anything that this world has ever known before. Amen? Amen? Like, that's what we know. And if you're not a Christian in this room, why would you wait? <laughs> why would you wait to, to receive and to embrace Jesus as the one who lived the life that you could never live and died the death that you deserve? If you're a Christian in this room, which most of you, if not all of you are, these words are for you. What then shall we say to these things? What things? What's going on in our world, Israel, Russia, China? What's going on in your own home, your marriage, your children? Maybe news that the doctor gave you, unwelcome news. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. And if you don't know Jesus, why wait? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. There's salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus, period. No one else can save your soul. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in and through the lives of everyone in this room, uh, those watching the live stream, what you're doing in this world. You're moving all of history in a direction, and that direction leads to the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the King of kings and Lord of lords, to whom all the nations will bow and confess that he is Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.